In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Payday. How does the word payday strike your spirit? I see smiles, right? I, I see that I am old enough to remember the first couple of jobs I had at the end of the week on Friday or the end of every other week. We'd get done about five minutes before we were going to leave. The boss or someone would come around with a bundle of paychecks and hand us our envelope. That always brought a smile to your face, even if after taxes the amount wasn't a lot. Now I know today when we do that, we get up in the morning and we go on our banking app and we look to see whether the direct deposit has made its way there or not. I don't find that to be quite the same thing, but it's the same kind of idea. Just hold on to that for a couple of minutes this evening. The Israelites did again what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. Now, we've been reading the last couple of weeks about Joshua, and after Joshua died, God's people find themselves locked into a cycle that they would live through for what amounts to a few hundred years. We read this in the book of Judges. It plays out over the generations. The generation who come out with Joshua, when they died off, their kids quit following the Lord. The Bible calls it sometimes doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord, or each person doing what was right in their own eyes. At some point, God would take his hand of protection off, and then they would start seeing raids or conquerors coming. And after some time, they would call out to God, and then God would raise up a judge, a hero, who would come and lead them to victory over their enemies. And this judge would stay on and encourage them to continue following the Lord until the judge died and that generation died and the cycle would start over again. Ehud was the second judge. And after his death, people began to act evil, to do what was right in their own eyes. And the cycle began again. The Israelites cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron and oppressed them cruelly for 20 years. Now it seems like it took God's people 20 years of being oppressed to finally cry out to him again. And we know this in our own lives when we're dealing with people. We often have people we love. We don't understand how they continue to allow their lives to live in the manner it does. Why does the addict we love not just shake it off and quit? Why do they keep going back to the bottle or the needle, hurting themselves and their loved ones and by extension, hurting us. How can an abused spouse go back to their abuser? Now this sermon's not one rooted in self-help or one about psychology. Those of us blessed to not be dealing with addiction or abuse tend not to understand the struggle of those who deal mightily with it. And sometimes we let our frustration cloud out our mercy. Alcoholics Anonymous, which was founded on Christian principles by a bunch of Episcopalians, to this day, says that you need a higher power to help break those patterns. As Christians, we confess it's our, our Savior, Jesus Christ, that helps us. That God hears us when we call. And when they called out that time, it says, Deborah, prophetess, was judging Israel. Now stop and think about it. If you're taking it chronologically, we've encountered Moses' sister Miriam in our Exodus reading, and she was a prophetess. And at this point, God calls early in the life of his people, Deborah to not only be a prophetess, but to lead God's people in this time. 
says she went and summoned Barak from Nephalati and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go and take Mount Tabor. Bring 10,000 with the tribe of Naphtali and the tribe of Zebulon. She calls Barak to be the general in charge of the army. And look, God was the one who was bringing the strategy together. It wasn't Deborah's plan. It wasn't Barak's plan. He was simply following the path that God laid out for them. The psalmist writes, To you I lift up my eyes, to you enthroned in the heavens. The psalmist understands that God is judge over all. He says, Our eyes look to God until he shows us his mercy. Just like in Judges, when they're in trouble, they call out to God for help. And then he compares our looking to God the same way that we look to our bosses on payday, right? We're looking for their hands. We're looking for that paycheck to be there. Or at least the way we used to when paper checks were distributed. That look we have of expectation. Hey boss, it's 4.55 and it's Friday. And then he says, have mercy on us, O Lord. Have mercy, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Too much of the scorn of the indolent rich and the derision of the proud. And notice here, their contempt, their problems aren't coming from outside. In Deborah's day, it was an army that wanted to invade and raid and take their, take their livelihoods. No, who's oppressing them here in the Psalms are people who are proud, people who are too rich and lazy to show mercy. When God's people need it, it's coming from the inside. Jesus says, For it's as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. Now, as a reminder, we're reading from Jesus when he's speaking with his followers during the early part of Holy Week. He taught and debated in the temple, and when he left, he started speaking to them about the end of all things. Last week, we heard Jesus tell a parable about the end, what the end would be like. He said it's going to be like ten bridesmaids waiting on the groom to come to start the wedding feast. And here he gives another parable to explain what it will be like. And we have a setup here, one that we've heard before. A man of some means goes on a journey and leaves others in charge. This time, though, he gives one five talents, another two, and another one, each according to his ability. And then he went away. And here the landowner goes away and gives his servants money to run the businesses, taking into account the respective talents and abilities. Now, it's worth mentioning here that a talent is a weighted currency that could be in silver or in gold, it would weigh today about 110 pounds. So when we're talking about he left them a talent, in today's currency, a silver talent would be something like fifteen dollars or $20,000. And a gold talent, let's just use a right nice round number of, say, $1.4 for discussion's sake, for each of those talents. So he didn't just leave them with lunch money. He didn't leave them with just enough money to operate the house in his absence. He left them with money to go out and, and do business. And when we read the story, we hear what? The servants go off, and the one who has five talents doubles that money by using his gifts. And the one with two talents doubles his money by using his gifts. And the one who received the one talent, he goes out and buries the money in the ground and hides it and waits for his boss to return. Now, I'm convinced that the reason why St. Paul's here is blessed is because we do not bury our talents. If you were to talk to someone on the committee that called me, I was impressed by the commitment to missions and evangelism 
Last week, in a week's time, we conducted all of the canned jams and gravy that Project Outreach in Spring City needs for both Thanksgiving and for Christmas. I met many people in the church during COVID, not at a church service, but when they were sneaking in to drop off canned good items for this, or items for the soup kitchen. Hold on to that thought for just a minute. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need to have anything written to you. Now Paul's still writing to the Thessalonians about the end. And here we get a feel for what they absorbed in their short time they had with Paul, about three weeks. They heard about the wars and the rumors of wars, the earthquakes, the pestilence, the persecution, the famine, all that stuff we still talk about in pop culture today with the end of time. Paul says the Lord's return is not coming when we expect it. We have to be prepared to wait. He writes, But you, beloved, are not in darkness, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day, not of the night and not of darkness. So we're called to live like we're part of the light, right? We're called to put on love and hope, knowing that his return is coming. And Paul says, Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, put on the breastplate of faith and love, and the helmet of the hope of salvation. Paul's calling on the church. He's not calling on the church not to have fun, but be prepared for what's coming. If you know there's a battle, Paul says, prepare for one. And if it's time to go to bed, go to bed. Listen again. These are parables and analogies. God is not calling us to take up arms and shoot the people we disagree with, which is how some of our siblings will tell you we should interpret some of these verses on the end. He writes, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so whether we're awake or asleep, we may live with him. And Paul's reminding the Thessalonians that whether we're alive at his return or dead, asleep as it were, we'll all be together with him. And that what we should be doing as we wait, Paul says, is encouraging one another, building each other up, indeed as you are doing. Back to Jesus in the Gospel reading for a moment. What motivated the servant to hide his talent, to bury it in the ground? The same thing that motivates people to bury money in coffee cans in their backyards today, to leave it sitting in a mattress. It's fear. In this case, it's the fear of losing money. Why don't we talk to our new neighbors? Because we're afraid. They don't look like us. He, the servant says, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Have what's yours. The servant was too afraid of loss to do what the others were doing. And fear when we let it. Fear doesn't let us think straight. And the master tells him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. On my return, I at least received what was my own with interest. The master says, you understand you should have been busy. And you think you know me, but you didn't understand it. Think about it. How much money would the man, how much money would we today, putting the bank in a, putting the money in a savings account, earn. We're not doubling our money. The master was not upset with about the amount of money he would have made. He was upset that he didn't even try. 
Like I said last week, God's called us to be prepared to wait. Years ago, someone asked me after I preached this passage, whether, since they had very few talents compared to other people, if that meant the Lord was already displeased with them. And I had to remind them, it's a parable. What Jesus is saying is if we're waiting for his return, we all should be all, be all about loving God and loving others with the abilities he's given us. Last week we read about the bridesmaids who knew the, bride, who knew the bridegroom was coming, but they didn't bother to prepare in case he was later than they thought. This week it's a servant who doesn't even try to work. He just goes and buries and waits. If you want practical advice and you don't feel talented, let me say this. The next time God opens a little window, you know, when somebody talks to them about how lonely they are, invite them to church. When you see someone new at church, or you see a face you haven't seen in a long time, treat them the way you would a cousin. A cousin you've heard about and not seen, or maybe a cousin you haven't seen since you were real little. Go over and reintroduce yourself, and listen, and talk, and share. Love them. They express guilt about not coming to church. Give them a hug and tell them they were missed. We should be all about doing God's business, loving God and loving our neighbors actively as we wait, and not let fear paralyze us. Amen.